Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, Philippians 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or, wor- or praiseworthy, think about these things. So um, we weren't going to do a talk at all today. We were just going to sing, um, but we thought, well, let's just let's let's discuss something together. So it's not really a sermon. These are just some devotional thoughts I've been having over the last couple of weeks. Thought I'd try to put them together uh, to to get us thinking um, for, about Thanksgiving a little bit. So let me uh, let me start in here. Over the last two weeks, I have been reading a book by called Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. I've meant to do it uh, for a while, but I'm just getting around to it. I'll tell you why in a minute. It's kind of a spiritual autobiography. It's, it explains why he became a Christian. It has a, an apologetic flair to it. Um, he, he looks at reality uh, with a, just a refreshing common sense. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. And he will make an atheist or a pantheist feel very uncomfortable, is the way that it is written. In fact, C.S. Lewis, who called G.K. Chesterton his spiritual father, said this about reading orthodoxy. A young man who wishes to remain a strong atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. So I was introduced to G.K. Chesterton by reading uh, C.S. Lewis, Os Guinness, and Philip Yancey. Chesterton was a journalist, wrote over 4,000 essays, very prolific, on all kinds of subjects, from light subjects to very, very difficult uh, subjects. He straddled the 19th and the 20th century, about the time that modernism, pacifism, Darwinism, determinism were all coming to the fore. And all of those things, being a critical thinker for him, pushed him closer to Christianity. So, why do I bring him up today? I don't ever, this is for years, this has been true for years, I don't ever think of Thanksgiving without thinking of G.K. Chesterton. Uh, and here's the reason why. He said, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is genuinely thankful but has no one to thank. And I read that many, many, many years ago, and I got to get around to reading Orthodoxy in the last two weeks I've been doing it. He went on to say this, if my children wake up Christmas morning and have someone to thank for putting candy in their stocking, have I no one to thank for putting two feet in mine? That's how we thought. That's, so I thought, i got to get this book read. One of the interesting things about him is he wrestled with the problem of pain and evil. But he could never shake what he calls in himself a very thin thread of thanks. This is before he became a Christian. The problem of evil was always there that he had to address. But he said, there was always this thin thread of thanks in me. And I never knew where to put it or what to do with it. So, 
he was fascinated by the, by the problem of pleasure. The problem of wonder as opposed to the problem of pain. So he's, in his mind, materialism was too thin to account for this sense of wonder and delight that he felt at moments in his life. Just wonderful moments like we've all had. Those things, he thought, added a magical dimension to life that he had to address. Things like life, like eating, sex, fun, childbirth, art, love. Everything that brings wonder, music. And he, after examining it, thought Christianity provided the best clues to solve the mystery of pleasure. Now, Philip Yancey, who has written about G.K. Chesterton, said three things about this fascination that Chesterton had with the problem of pleasure. Yancey says this, I've never read a book on the problem of pleasure. Secondly, no philosopher goes around shaking his or her head in perplexity over the question of why do we experience pleasure? No one's asking that. And, Yancey says, the problem of pleasure becomes the philosophical equivalent for an atheist, for atheists, to the problem of pain for Christians. Should not atheists have to explain the origin of pleasure in a world of randomness and meaninglessness? In other words, if God can't exist because evil exists, then how do you explain the existence of joy and delight and love and wonder? These are the things that captivated Chesterton. So he said, pleasure must have meaning, and meaning must have someone to mean it. Well, you can imagine that that captivated my thoughts. So you say, well, what, what, how's that going to help us today? Well, these are the applications that I've been making in my head over the last two weeks reading him. Because uh, we're about to spend some time worshiping, giving thanks. And for many of us in our hearts, there'll be two struggles as you do that, like there is always when we worship. I might need to be thankful right now or try to be when things aren't going that well. And so there'll be some angst in trying to give thanks this morning. On the other hand, there may be things going very well in your life. And perhaps that's created a kind of indifference. You don't really need God. And you, it's very easy to be smug not even realizing it, not trying to be. And then what does it really mean at the end of the day? Like, how do you know you're thankful? How do you know you're thankful? Well, I thought those were some good thoughts that came out of that book that made me go, all right, let me think, let me think about these things. So we read to you Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 because after reading Chesterton, this is the verse that came to my mind because he thought about the wonders of the world and Philippians 4, 8 gives them here. Things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. He says, think about these things. This is where you need to be reflecting, considering, taking into account the wonders of reality not just the hardships. And uh, 
There's a figure of speech used here because it doesn't use any conjunctions. It doesn't say whatsoever is true and whatsoever is noble. And so what that does is it forms a sort of piling on, a stacking. So I've written it like this so you can see the stacks. He's just stacked these on one of another as if to sort of suggest there's a whole pile of good things going on in the world that you need to be recognized. Do you see that? It's a stack of them. And the word whatever every time used is telling you that it's comprehensive and it's expansive and there's, there's a whole lot to think about that's true. There's a whole lot to think about that's noble. And then down here, this little if right here is the challenge of the text. If there is anything that's praiseworthy, I'm thinking, I thought of Chesterton, who are you praising? If these things are praiseworthy, there's got to be someone to praise. But the question here is if, now, this sort of construction here always assumes this kind of if means you could translate it since. Since there are plenty of praiseworthy things. But you use the word if to force the reader to go, am I noticing anything? If, as if to say, uh, do you see them? I mean, are you aware of them? Are you wrestling with the reality of the good? And if you are, how do you know you are? If you are, how do you know you are? Well, of course, I think this text suggests there is someone to praise for the excellence and the wonders in the world. These are gifts from God, and they suggest a certain kind of God. Truth and morality, beauty, all suggest a certain kind of God that resonate, I think, with, with us deep inside, which Chesterton was getting at. What do I do with these things that naturalists and materialists are telling me don't really exist? When there's no way to explain them and they have no meaning. But I see these wonders. They resonate with something deep inside of me. And this is, for, for me, from an apologetic standpoint, are the things that, that drive me to Christianity just like they did Chesterton. Some very, you know, curious about how they did it for him. But he thought all of these things here are clues to another world. You can try to deny that they exist, but if you do, they, they leave you with nothing. You, you've got nothing. So he sort of compared the world to like this cosmic shipwreck. So he said, imagine a cosmic shipwreck. Now, he didn't use Philippians 4.8. I'm sort of, I'm sort of jamming that in as a but he, he talks about the universe as being sort of a cosmic shipwreck so we're like sailors he says searching for meaning who after the ship you know we're out we're out cold and all of a sudden we wake from a deep sleep and we discover these treasures strewn about relics of a civilization that we can barely remember again life the natural world beauty morality and he says, they're traces of an original purpose, clues into another reality. Clues, he says, that should lead you to God. But here's the thing. 
They cannot become ends in themselves. This is really important. They can't become ends in themselves. They point to something greater. They arouse in us a longing for something more sure and richer. So, there is someone to thank, but how do you know you're thankful? Well, let me just point something out to you here. Um, On the other side of this, at the top side of this, Paul will deal with this problem. The problem of anxiety. On the downside, on the other side of this verse, he will deal with the problem of discontent. So, um, and, and, and I've gone so far as to put it, you know, you're not content, let's take it to its extreme and just call it addiction. So you could be anxious that you don't have the good things or you can be addicted to the good things. Do you sort of see that? Okay, so um, Chesterton said this about being thankful. This is the thing that really popped out to me. I knew he had said there was always, what do you do if you feel thankful but there's no one to thank? But reading orthodoxy helped me realize that he said this. The proper form of thanks is some form of two things. Humility and restraint. Humility and restraint. So let's look at both of those. How does Paul say to deal with anxiety? Well, in Philippians 4, 7, he says, pray. Bring, take all your issues to God. Well, there's hardly any act in your spiritual life more characteristic of humility than praying. So when, I, when, when the good things seem absent from my life, I'm going to feel anxious. The answer is to pray and to trust. It's the most humble thing you can do. And in fact, Paul says in verse 7, pray with thanksgiving. That I can be thankful even though right now I've got serious concerns in my life. And maybe good is hard to see. So he would say, trust. Trust that God will provide them. See, if I go to God, then it's not the thing that I'm worried about the most. In other words, I'm not demanding of good, nor am I dependent on good. I'm dependent on God, not the gifts. Now, that may be something you're struggling with. And if you're here today and you're struggling to see good and you're struggling to be thankful, but your behind is here, that's fine. Do you understand that? You're struggling to be thankful, that's fine. Hopefully in song, in worship, in hearing God's word, there'll be a breakthrough for you. And you go, yeah, that's what I need to do. I need to be thankful right now, even though maybe things. Let's hear a little bit. Um, So my son, Eric, I didn't ask him if I could tell this, but he's finishing school. He's got one class left in this semester, but he's trying to work. He's getting married in April. 
and he's broke, as you can be. And the job that he wants as a, as a sports broadcaster on radio is, is it's, a, it's a long, hard road. He's been doing it for years, literally making no money. Podcasts on different things. He works for The Fan, 105.3 The Fan. He's one of the producers over there. Uh, and uh, but it's part-time, and they pay him hardly anything. There's no way it could, it could be enough. And then he's doing these other th- gigs just to get experience because you need it, and it takes so long in the road. And to ever get full-time at 105.3 The Fan is just like, it's like very, very difficult and likely to never happen. So he's trying to get a, uh, a honeymoon planned, okay? Which right now amounts to just hanging out here for a day or two. <laughs> and so he got this little Friday night football gig, this man who has you know, his own recording stuff and, and really into high school football, and high school football's big. He put a group of four or five guys together who can talk high school football, and on Friday nights... For four hours, these guys sit around at the Star, the Dallas Cowboy radio room, and talk high school football. They're doing a great job. It's growing, but he can't find sponsors. So this guy's been paying these boys out of his pocket for a little while, and and more than they deserved, probably, for this Friday night thing. But they're doing a good job, and it's growing. But he can't can't fund it anymore, and he doesn't have the sponsors. So So I happen to be privy to a conversation I heard Eric having uh, Saturday morning or one of these mornings here recently and uh, the guy said I can't pay anymore so now he's got to finish the season then go into the postseason talking high school football and, he's, and all the guys are going to do it for nothing which is basically what Eric's been doing in broadcasting for years now for nothing so I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, he's going to come out of that room and he's going to be devastated. You know how you would be. You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm planning this. I got to figure this. I got nothing. He comes, so, comes out of the room and I'm going, hey, I couldn't help but hear. You all right? And, and now, I don't know about you, but I know how I would feel in that moment. It would take me a minute to get my feet under me. Would it take you a few minutes? So he says to me, you know, Dad, here's the deal. I've chosen this profession, and I know it's going to pay me nothing for a long time. The fact that he paid me at all was a true blessing. And I'm sitting there going, because I know I'm going to have to pay for the honeymoon. I know what's going to happen. But what I was trying... what, what in that moment, he, and I'm thinking of all this because I've been reading this, and I thought, wow, you could see that? Could you see that? Paul is saying, think about these things because if you do, they'll lead you to someone. Because if you ever get stuck on the thing, it'll ruin you. If you ever get stuck on the gift and not the giver, So the first thing I would say is, if you're going to be thankful, here's how you know. What are you anxious about? You're really thankful if you're humbly praying for God, seeking him, even though you don't have something you really think you need right now. That's how you know you're thankful. 
The second way you might know you're thankful, this will be quick, but I love G.K. Chesterton on this. He said, when you get the good things, don't become too obsessed with them. He says, if the good things do come your way, if the money does come, if the opportunity does come, don't get addicted to it. Don't, he says this literally, good things have to be handled with care. Because of sin, he says, every good thing harbors a risk of becoming too attached to it. So he says, eating becomes gluttony, love becomes lust, and good things turn to idols and become addictions. So he says in his book, this is really powerful, show gratitude by not overindulging in any of the things you love. He said, we should thank God for beer and wine by not drinking too much of them. And then he writes this, and these are the two illustrations he uses in the book. And the other one was on sex. Sexual promiscuity, he says. It's not so much overvaluing of sex as a devaluing of it. And then he writes this, and I thought we can apply it to everything, but here's how he says it. To complain that I could only be married once or have only one lover was like complaining that I had only been born once. It was incommensurate with the terrible excitement of which one was talking. It showed not an exaggerated sensibility to sex, but a curious insensibility to it. Promiscuous sex is like the... It's a lack of the realization of sex. It is like a man plucking five pears in a mere absence of mind. By the way, this is just a side note. But whenever you read Augustine or you read any one of these older guys, they always talk about pears as being something really attractive. I don't know why. I do not know why. Okay, Augustine uses the same illustration about a pear. About, you know, the day that he goes, I stole five pears from a guy. And I don't even like pears. That's, that's what Augustine did. So anyway, I just throw that out there as an aside. Pears were evidently really attractive back then. I don't know what the story is. But he says this. A man is a fool who complains he cannot enter Eden by five gates at a time. And what he's saying is, there's permission to enjoy Because at the very beginning of this text, Paul will say, rejoice in the Lord always. So he says there's permission to enjoy, to rejoice in the Lord, as the creator and giver of good gifts without ever becoming one of two things. Entitled, why don't I have it and I need to have it and what am I going to do to get it? Or entangled, way too attached to it. So I'll tell you, one of the tests of true thankfulness is not can you sing it right now, but in your heart. Have you become entitled or have you become entangled? I'll close with this. I read an essay. This was years ago by George Orwell, but the visual has never left my head. George Orwell was at a picnic and a wasp landed on his plate 
And he writes this. This wasp landed on my plate. It was sucking jam uh, off my plate. And so I cut him in half. He paid no attention. He merely went on with his meal while a tiny stream of jam trickled out of his severed esophagus. Only when he tried to fly away did he grasp the dreadful, the dreadful thing that had happened to him. And ever since I've read that, I've always had the thoughts of, is there anything in my life I'm so attached to that I've got such an appetite for? It's become so strong that I don't realize I've severed myself from the real source of life, and I don't even know that thing is killing me. I don't even know it's destroying me because my appetite for it is so great. It helped me to consider that I might really be thankful if I'm trusting God for the good things that might not be in my life today. Or if I'm really enjoying God's good gifts by showing restraint by my attachment to them, in my attachment. Entitled or entangled? Now we're going to spend some time in worship, and it's an opportunity for you to interact with God on either one of those. And if, and if one of them is a struggle, that's okay. Struggle with God through it and trust him for the breakthrough in your heart the odds are we'll probably have something on either side of this thing that we can give to him today so that's what we'll do hey thanks for watching today's message we hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith if you enjoyed it let your friends know we'll catch you next time